passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brandon Thurston from Wrestlenomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, buy rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. Your second edition of Pollock and Thurston in as many days. I am John Pollock from Post Wrestling and representing WrestleNomics. He is Brandon Thurston, a very busy Brandon Thurston. Hello, Brandon. Hello. Hello, John. How are you? I'm, d- I'm doing well. Lot- are you good since last time we spoke? Um, uh, you know what? It feels, it feels like days since we last spoke. We have lots to discuss. We have lots of, uh, m- many questions that are still out there. Maybe we will answer a few of them. And we thought, uh, you know, I, I want to give ourselves some credit. I mean, we did book this individual to join us where I thought the focus would all be Kazuchika Okada. And a um, few things have trumped that since then. Welcome back to Pollock and Thurston. <laughs> Dave Meltzer, editor of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Hey, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, Brandon. Hey, John. How you doing? It's uh, I'm sure that you guys have gotten tons of sleep the last two days. I guess, Dave, for you, now that we are over 24 hours removed from the announcement, what are some of the key questions you have that are unanswered um there, there's probably a lot of them as this deal is so fresh uh, i mean it's not so much questions unanswered at this point i mean especially because i've talked to a lot of people in the last 24 hours but i think that the one thing and brandon already has written about it is that the deal from a monet just pure monetary standpoint forget about um you know the value of netflix being on netflix and things like that from a pure monetary standpoint the deal is is kind of a disappointment um and and not just because the, um, you know, again, like they were talking all along of 50% increase and really the value of this increase is probably closer to 29 to 32%, but more so, um, that it's a 10 year deal. And, you know, usually, you know, we've gone these through these five year cycles where the number, you know, greatly increases, you know, by whatever the multiple is, right? Every five years. And this one, you're kind of locked into 10 years at this rate. So there's not going to be that big boost in five years. This is kind of where you stand. And, you know, it was like when TKO, when they merged, you know, UFC and, you know, the big thing was, is, you know, when they merged UFC and WWE, the big thing was, is that these rights, these are going to continue to just grow like crazy. And this is kind of an admission that, um, that thing, I'm not, not that it's burst, but that that but an, kind of an admission that that growth period um, that they're not so certain of that growth period because if they were um, this is this is actually a low deal. Brandy, did you want to talk a little bit just about kind of your own uh, analysis and breakdown? We talked a bit about this on on Tuesday, but just anything you want to add from 
kind of what you've been able to gather and stock wise from the TKO side? Yeah, well, the stock today is only down slightly, which is, I think, fine considering how much it was up yesterday. It was up something like 15 to 20% yesterday, and it's, it's down about a percent and a half. Um, which means it's keeping most of the value that, that it gained yesterday. It's at $88 right now. But I, I think, you know, I've gone through and, and did the estimate and I've seen Brandon Ross's estimate from Lightshed. And, um, we both got to about the same multiple, about 1.2, 1.3, uh, with different methods, which is encouraging. Uh, so it, it, it tells me that I think over the entire lifetime of the deal, I think it's going to be a, you know, a 20 to 30% increase. And you can make an argument about the value that WWE is going to gain because of the reach, because of being on Netflix and, and some other downstream effects that, that may be there because, because it's Netflix, especially globally. But it, it does look like it's a down deal. I, I have the impression that it's a, a, a backloaded deal so that a lot of the money comes later. And I you know that's normally the case with these media deals where every year you get, get a little bit of an increase and they have guaranteed escalators in here. Uh, the, the impression that I get is that that'll be even more the case with this deal because so many of the international rights are going to kick in and, and, and go on to Netflix further along uh, in this deal. Um, but one of the, one of the unanswered questions that we have is what's going to happen to Raw in October, November, and December when presumably Raw is no longer going to be on the USA Network and the Netflix deal, Netflix Live on Raw in the United States is not going to start until uh, January. So I, I asked NBC Universal and they did, did get back to me and said, uh, a spokesperson said that it's correct that Raw will no longer be on the USA Network after October 2024. Uh, in regard to what is happening with Raw between October and December, it's probably best to reach out to WWE. Uh, I did ask WWE. I haven't heard back yet. Go ahead, I, I have heard back from WWE, and they basically said that there will be an announcement coming very soon when it comes to for that one. Okay. Do, do you expect anything? I mean, it, I, I would just – I would have figured that it's going to just be extended for three more months. On, on USA, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. They just said that they would have, um, they said they couldn't answer it right now and, but that that answer would be coming very soon. Okay. As, as we look, Dave, to just the, the overall, um, impact that this is having, certainly outside of WWE, but what this means for Netflix, like this is just a massive, um, sea change that here is now another significant live sports rights player that is at the table and what this represents in terms of WWE that I don't think this is just the, the, this is chapter one for Netflix getting into this, not their entire picture of how this is going to play out in, in terms of now their expansion. I mean, John, you figure this is like a test thing for them, yes. you know, to see how well it does. And, um, you know, it's they, they're kind of like dipping your toe in the water. Now, I know that at their investment call yesterday, they said that this that they consider this entertainment and they actually said that it's not a sign they're getting into sports. But it's it's you know, one would think it's got to be, you know, I mean, it's got to be at least a test. And also because they've they did kick the tires and, and make, you know, rounds trying to get Formula One rights and, and some tennis rights already. So they've, they have talked to people. They just haven't made any deals. This is the first deal they've made. So yeah, that's what I figure. You know, it's the test and see how it holds up and see what their audience wants. And if they become a big player, they've got a lot of money. And, um, you know, again, it's part of the seismic shift from, from, uh, television and cable to streaming that we will be living through for the next how many years and seeing how that plays out. Like does cable, what level does cable survive at? Um, what level does streaming peak, peak at, you know, when does it, you know, like, um, these are all things that are playing out in front of our eyes, you know, just like the football game last week, which was a very interesting test market. You know, of course that was on Peacock. It's on a lot less homes than, um, Netflix. I mean, the key with Netflix is, is Netflix is essentially in, in the United States and Canada, roughly the same amount of homes as, as cable, you know, it's within a million or two, I think, you know, Brandon might have exact numbers, but it's the same ballpark. But it's likely to skew much younger and it's likely to, so you're going to give up, you're going to be given up older viewers and you're going to be increasing younger viewers, which from a, you know, it's a standpoint of WWE and television, you know, it's, it's like that's preferable anyway. Yeah. In terms of where USA network or if you even look at whatever the top cable networks are that you want to think of USA network, TNT, TBS, uh, ESPN for that matter, they're all at about 70 million homes, according to Nielsen as of December. And Netflix reported yesterday, it's 81 million between U.S. and Canada. And if you just figure, well, based on the population sizes of the U.S. and Canada, if it's even based on the sizes of their population, then then U.S. the U.S. would be at about 72 million 
72 million subscribers. And I don't know if, if we should think about, well, how much password sharing is there? Maybe it's an even a little bit more homes than that, uh, in, in, a, in a way that there isn't password sharing or, you know, unaccounted for households uh, when it comes to cable. So it, it does look to me like, you know, Netflix has greater coverage than any cable network at this point. Yeah. Slightly, but slightly greater. Yeah. 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 In terms of the international scope that this comes with, Dave, I mean, what are you looking at in terms of there's now going to be a lot of international broadcasters that have been associated with WWE? And what is the what is the space going to look like for these broadcasters? And like a lot of this, we have to look at AEW. Like, does this help their international footprint when so much of the WWE product will be concentrated on a Netflix platform? I would think so, because you have these stations that have historically carried WWE that will no longer be doing so. And if they have any interest in wrestling, AEW is the obvious place to go. And, you know, AEW lags greatly behind internationally from from WWE. So I feel like certainly on an international basis, it helps AEW. I think even on a domestic basis, it probably helps, um, you know, in the sense that, well, put it this way, you know, if they didn't get on WBD. That would have been a disaster for, for AEW. So that which was the, that was the worst case scenario. And it looks like the worst case scenario for AEW is alleviated for, you know, for 10 years, really. Do you sense that this doesn't really change your outlook in terms of the AEW rights? Like certainly this clears the deck for WBD. Um, uh, otherwise, when, when you're looking at it, is, is AEW in all that different of a, of a position today? With, with domestically. The deal? Domestically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really depends on. The stations that WWE was negotiating with, and if they were to go and kind of had done like lots of work and gone, you know what, this wrestling thing isn't so bad, then could they be vying for AEW when AEW could be, you know, when AEW can legally start discussions on those things? Theoretically, yes. It doesn't put it like it doesn't it doesn't hurt the rights negotiations. Um, where it hurts as is as as WWE gets stronger financially. It hurts AEW because they would have to pay more for talent um, and their popularity. You know, it's like, you know, we've seen as WWE, if popularity goes down, AEW's is going to go up generally. And as WWE's go up, AEW will suffer in the process. It doesn't always have to be that way. But traditionally in wrestling, when you're looking at like a kind of like a two party uh, competition, whether it's cities or regions or whatever, uh, the usual thing is, is that, um, you know, as as the the dominant one gets bigger, the other ones goes ends up going away. So in that sense, um, you know, long term could that hurt AEW? You know, ticket ticket selling wise, um, yeah, you know, but um, domestic rights fees, I don't think it hurts, and it it could help. Yeah, Dave, do you have, do you have any idea when the exclusive negotiating window for AEW uh, ends? I, I got the impression that at least fairly recently that that, that they were. They were not out of the exclusive negotiating window if, if they were, if they were, if it had even begun. And we've seen with, um, I think the, the, the NBA deal, their exclusive negotiating window with their incumbents is going to be, um, later on, I think in March. So it's, it looks like th- that there's like an exclusive negotiating period and then that ends and then you can talk to outside parties. So I'm, I'm just trying to think of like when, if they're going to talk to people other than WBD, when that could begin. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. Yeah, I don't have a date. I just know that as of today, we haven't reached that date. You know, so like like they can negotiate Ring of Honor um, anywhere in theory, but I don't think they're I don't think they're going to negotiate Ring of Honor until the WBD thing gets settled. So while they can do it legally, I don't think they're going to do it. And then the WBD thing right now, it's an, it's they're still in the exclusive phase. Yeah. How do you feel about you know um when it came to the night of the week for Raw? I mean, Nikon was very clear in the sense that it's it's Monday Night Raw for now, but that can change, and they are not married to Monday Night. That'll be a decision both sides come to. In the one sense, it seems well that is you've built this institution on this night of the week, but it's becoming an increasingly tough night. That if you're Netflix, you don't have that that history of Monday night behind you. I mean, do you lean one way or the other towards uh, what makes sense uh, for, for Raw when you are establishing it now on not just a different network but a ne- different platform altogether? I mean, I mean, the institution and everything like that. I would I would not want to move from Monday. I know you get hit four months out of the year, 
Um, but I think the move of date, but you know, eventually if, if it moves to Tuesday, fans are going to migrate and figure it out. And, um, but yeah, I, um, I talked to them yesterday and for now, for today, you know, I mean, there's no movement of date, but obviously like, you know, one thing that, you know, we can go back as far as if you're trying to save costs and you can work it perfectly, you know, the idea of running Monday and Tuesday, like they did before, you know, tapings Monday and Tuesday, it's just a lot more, um, you know, it saves money. It's easier on the executives, the people who have to go to both shows, you know, you're not flying the work, you know, the, you know, workers and the production people out twice a week. You, you do, you know, once a week, maybe they'll drive 200 miles to the next city. Monday, Tuesday, from that standpoint, is beneficial. And also getting smacked down off Friday is very beneficial because Friday's not a great day for television, especially for cable. That said, I was told, like, as of right now for USA Network, the plan is, is that SmackDown's on Friday. But of course, you know, I think if they evaluate everything, I, I don't see why they would do that. But that is the plan as of right now. And Raw is up in the air. Yeah. You know, like Nick Khan said. I mean, it would be fascinating, Dave, if you, if you saw Netflix that comes at it with the arguments out there about, you know, 18 Mondays of the year that you're going up against that level of competition and you move to a Tuesday. I don't think USA Network has that aversion. SmackDown becoming a Monday night program, I don't think is maybe uh, a I launch. I, think, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility because that is the night USA Network has put so much equity into. Yeah, I will say this. If SmackDown moves to Tuesday, if um, if Raw moves to Tuesday, SmackDown on Monday makes all the sense in the world. And I'm sure USA would love that. It would be yeah. perfect. It's like it's like their history. Yeah, yeah. And gets it off Friday. And the properties, they paid a lot for this property. You, you want to get the maximum thing. And yeah, you know, I mean, put it this way. I think Monday against football and Brandon, you know, you could chime in on this. I think Monday against football for, for USA is superior to Friday, 52 weeks a year. And even during those, those 18 to 20 weeks a year where you're going against monster football, I think that it's still going to be better than the Friday night, the Friday night SmackDown rating. If it was on USA, I could be wrong, but for the, you know, but for the year, I'm, I'm pretty much positive for, for, if you go for a whole year that Monday will be far superior to Friday. Yeah, if, if I had to pick between Monday and Friday, I would pick Monday, even though you have to go against the, the NFL. Um, I just, that would be so funny from a branding perspective, because if you had SmackDown on USA Network on Monday, it's Monday Night SmackDown. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's a two hour show. He's that, that, that's, that's how you're going to get your, uh, your two hour off finally, I guess. Yeah. Have you looked, um, like I, I'm sure you will be, both of you will be breaking down the numbers. But what do you think this means for USA Network as as a cable network? I mean, yes, they are retaining two hours of WWE programming, but their their inventory is going down. Like they are losing hours of of highly viewed programming. I mean, is this going to be a minor hit to USA Network, or could it be that much more? I think it's fairly major. It's not catastrophic. I think not having any wrestling would have been catastrophic. Um, you know, they'll get two good hours, but yeah, you're going from, from, uh, the two hours on Tuesday that are what the the two, the two hours on Tuesday are above what the station does outside of, um, you know, um, raw and then the three hours of raw, which I think, you know, unless SmackDown moves to Monday, um, the three hours of raw are probably going to be, um, a little bit below what, I mean, three hours SmackDown, uh, the three hours of raw are going to be ahead of what SmackDown does. So it will be a hit. Um, and it'll be significant, but I would, I would call it, yeah, significant. It's a significant hit. Yeah. Do, have either of you gotten any clear sense on why this deal is beginning January 1, 2025? And we're going to eventually get this announcement of how Q4 will shake out for Raw, but it is kind of curious that you are going to have this gap where you're going to need some band-aid solution, whether they do work out some short-term extension with USA, find a, third party home or or what happens here but it is this odd gap in in the programming schedule i i'm on the impression that the uk and the canada deals are going to expire at the end of this year so mm-hmm. that explains that and they mentioned those two territories specifically in the press release maybe latin america lines up that way too because that gets mentioned um so you have three out of the four that expire at, at the right time maybe um but the biggest one by far doesn't yeah, I mean, I don't have really a good answer to that because, it, and it, it, you know, I guess, you know, I, you know, what, what that mean? I mean, it is really interesting because if it won't be USA, I mean, they'll probably put it on streaming. But if it's on a streaming platform that isn't USA, um, you know, like if it's on, let's just say Peacock Live, um, 
you know, your, um, your audience is going to be way, way down from, from what it was before you go to Netflix. And then your, why, if you're Peacock, do you introduce something for three months to hand it over to your competitor? You know, so it's like, yeah, it's a really interesting play on how this is going to go. Yeah. And then the focus becomes the, the U.S. streaming rights for the WWE network better up in March of 26. And, yeah. you know, we will have this you know, year plus period where you will need Peacock to follow this product. You will need Netflix to follow this product. And if you're a SmackDown consumer, you'll still need to have cable in theory, unless you're going to find alternative means to follow that. So I don't think it's an audience that is going to be too resistant that knows it does have to pay for its product, but it is these different buckets now that you are having to pay just to follow this one brand of professional wrestling. And I think streaming rights become really, really interesting when they're in such close proximity to the ESPN UFC deal being up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, look, the, the ESPN UFC deal is, and, and whatever the UFC next, uh, rights deals are, they're being negotiated by the same people. And that's why I think that like, you know, it's just logical. Hey, they just made a big deal with Netflix for their sister company. Um, could this be something where, you know, you go with Netflix to this, but is, does Netflix, um, does Netflix want to be or have pay-per-view capability? Because, you know, UFC traditionally has made a ton of money on their monthly pay-per-views. Um, you know, granted they were guaranteed by ESPN plus, but, did, but ESPN decided that it was superior for them to still charge for the pay-per-views rather than theoretically just get, get your increase in subscribers from putting the pay-per-views on. And so, yeah, that, that too, that, uh, the UFC negotiations become even more interesting because of this deal, I think. We did, uh, initially have you on just to talk about the, uh, the fate of one, uh, Kazuchika Okada. And I mean, at least at, at this stage, it would seem that it is still up in the air of where this individual is going to land. Did you, uh, happen? I know it's, uh, it's a bit earlier on, on the West Coast. Have you, did you get a chance to see the Cork and Hall match this morning with Okada? I did not, I did not see his, his last match at Cork and Hall. No. The atmosphere is incredible for this match. Like it was, it was like a real, uh, then he gave a big, like, uh, you know, just broke down crying to the crowd afterward. I mean, it was quite a uh, quite an emotional scene that they had at, at Cork and Hall this morning for him and, and going into the final matches. But I mean, just from a a standpoint, Dave, of New Japan and maximizing these last three matches. I mean, they put him over today and then vacated the title, so it wasn't as though they they had him losing these belts on the way out. I mean, would this be maximized to build up to one key significant loss at, at the end and? Like, what do you do if you're in New Japan and you've got three more dates uh, with Okada, one of which is the Tanahashi match? Yeah, I mean, I would certainly have him lose one, but it depends. I don't know. You know, they, they haven't announced the support matches, have they? No. Yeah, so we still have two question marks. But if they vacated the trios, then they're not going to be defending the trios to lose them in Sapporo. So um, that, you know, that's that's a decision that they made over the title, and maybe they just didn't want to be predictable. I don't know. Um, but, like, like, if you're going to have him lose once, you know, do you, you know, it's not the way they would do it to say, throw a Yoda Suji or Shota Umino in there. I mean, that's what I would do is try to use that equity for one big climactic final match on the second day in Sapporo against one of your younger guys and, and have the upset. But, you know, that's just how I would do it. I think that that would be kind of your you want to at least short term, I think, shake things up in a dramatic way that for your audience that is going to be losing an Osprey, losing an Okada, that you at least give them something that is shocking to the kind of conservative booking of, you know, doing something that at least in the short term, man, we're we're getting something um, significant. And this is the guy, whoever it is that they opt to go with, if it's Umino, if it's Narita, just it's somebody. Yeah, they, I mean, they need to have somebody now because they're losing. I mean, it, it, you know, again. I don't think it'd be em- overemphasized how important Okada really was to New Japan. Not that they'll die without him and their touring business is what their touring business is, but it's like he was, he's been the linchpin for 12 years and you need, you know, I mean, you need that, that superstar on your show and you've got Naito, but Naito, you know, Naito and Tanahashi are names, but they're older and they're broken down and they need some guy who they can be, you know, still be their kind of workhorse who can headline those big shows and singles matches, you know, year after year after year. And they got, you know, you know, young guys that are almost ready, but they're not ready right now. But sometimes you just got to, you know, I mean, when, uh, when Tenru left all Japan, you know, which was not as big as this, I don't think, but it was still big. You lost Tenru Yatsu and Kabuki all in one swipe. 
I mean, it was like, okay, that's when they went with Misawa, who at this point, if you look at Misawa at that point and say Shota or, or uh, Suji at this point, it's not as much of a difference as people think, even though they'll go crazy when I say that. But, you know, the guy stepped up and Kawada stepped up and Kobashi stepped up. And, you know, it ended up being a benefit uh, because and Baba wouldn't have, you know, it, it would have been more, it would have been years before he had made those moves to those guys if Tenru and uh, Yatsu and Kabuki had stayed. So it forces a change and that, that could be a good thing. It seems like there's a lot of historical examples we can look back and, and think about like even, you know, late nineties WWF in terms of the, the, the older, bigger stars had gone to WCW and that sort of forced Vince to create Austin and rock. Um, so I, do you see them actually pushing these guys to the, to the point where it, it, it could help their business? I mean, that's, I think they have to, I think you have to, even if you don't, even if you're not even fully confident, you have to try. Cause if you don't have a star, you know, you know I mean, if you don't try to make a star, you're not going to have a star unless you just luck into an Austin, you know, and you know, it happens. It doesn't always happen, you know, and, and even Dwayne was somewhat lucked into somewhat not, but, um, with them, especially the way that, that their public is and their, their standing in Japan. I mean, they're not, they're not this giant company doing, you know, 10,000 people. They're not, there's night they don't even know a thousand people. So it's like they, um, you know, and they're not on, you know, television that reaches the kind of people that here. So it's like you, um, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to really try that hard. To find somebody, maybe it's two people, maybe it's three people, but you've got to go with them at the top and you got to do it pretty quick. Because if it's just Naito and Tanahashi, um, I think it's going to be real rough, um, especially Tanahashi, because he's he really shouldn't be outside the mid card except for a couple of matches a year, I think, at this point. And I think long term, that to me is the more pressing issue that we'll, we will only know once we, we can look back at how significant this is. But if this is truly the I mean, clearly, the WWE's view of who can be a star has never been wider than it is now. And if we're talking about Yorosuji, yes, th- this guy could be that guy. But can you bank on him being there five years from now? Like, will this just be the conveyor belt of a star that gets over and you have a two companies that see like a Japanese star? Like, that is not a deterrent. Uh, that is somebody that can come over here and be a bigger star w- with our promotional backing. I think that we've already seen with stardom how this goes. Um, and the, the reality is it's like, and it is that when a superstar is created, you're right. That's a key point in, in three to five years. Um, you know, look, we, we saw it with Osprey didn't really want to leave new Japan, but economically it made no sense to stay. Okada, I don't, you know, again, I think it's the same thing. It's just the, the economic differences, you know, obviously for the women, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't even that big, you know, at, at first it is now, but like when, when, Io Sky or Io Shirai left. I mean, she wasn't actually leaving for more money, but it was just the idea of now. I mean, now she makes a lot more money, but it was more the idea of, well, I have to give it a try. It's WWE. Um, some of the new Japan guys don't have that mentality as strong and some of them always will, but now, but for them, yeah, it's the money. If you're out there and you're really strong in new Japan and you start being a draw, um, WWE and AEW are both going to want you. And, so yeah, you're going to have that thing where, you know, you become the feeder league and, and that's not good for the morale and mentality of the Japanese public because they've always in their own way viewed New Japan as number one, you know, and these other companies, yeah, they might even be more popular, but we got the best wrestlers. But if all of our best wrestlers are constantly leaving, you know what I mean? It, it downgrades them just like in Japanese baseball was hurt when, you know, all the top stars end up in the United States, you know, as compared to earlier incarnations. Before we let you go, Dave, uh, we do have one uh, uh, super chat that's just coming in here. This is a, this could be a lengthy answer. We'll, we'll keep it concise. But essentially, <laughs> if you are concerned about upcoming AEW attendances, um, do we have an updated figure for for Savannah yet uh, tonight? Have they cracked two thousand? Because that seems to be one that is uh, precipitating. I, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't looked since last night. But yeah, yeah, two thousand. Well, what, even if it's a little above or a little great. below two thousand, one thousand eight hundred and twenty. Yeah, last WrestleTix count. Oh, geez. That's, yeah, that's not good. Um, well, that'd be the lowest, uh, outside of Daly's place that they've ever done for a, for a Wednesday night show. The, um, am I concerned? I'm very, very, very concerned. I spoke, you know, just the other night. I probably went 30 minutes on it and the AEW fans were mad because, you know, they don't want to hear it, but it's, it's super significant. Not, not for, not just for today, but 
I mean, you, you know, Brandon, you know this better than anyone. The pattern, and John, you know it too. The pattern when they keep going to cities is down, whatever it is, 20%, you know, each time. And if we're at like 3,000 or 2,500 and we keep this pattern, at some point, it's like, I know like from the death of WCW and the death of the AWA and all this, when the pattern comes, and I'm not trying to say AEW is going to die or anything like that because it's a different economic thing now. AEW is doing well in other aspects and they, you know, obviously financially backed well and all that. But, um, you know, those declines don't end. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like they, you know, it's not like, oh, well, well, we'll bottom out at 2000. It's like, well, you know, that doesn't happen if you keep going back and it, it keeps going down. I mean, I think it's something that is very, very concerning. And, and, and Tony Khan is going to know it as good as anyone. And they're going to have to uh, make changes in, in what they do in some way as far as local marketing. Um, you know, one of the big things that they've done or that they didn't do is that they haven't really done those late discounted prices that they did in the fourth quarter of last year, which got a lot of late buys for a lot of shows. They stopped that. I don't know why. They have a new guy, you know, the new C- COO, you know, uh, um, who's – you know, it's, this is his job. So, you know, we're going to judge him. And it's too, obviously it's way too early to judge him, but in six months, you know, we're going to have to look back and see if they're still doing like these two thousands in, in, on Wednesday nights. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely not a good thing, you know, and, and, and you can't even, I can't even say it's the product, you know, because I mean, I, I, I guess it has something to do with it, but like when I watch the TV, I don't think it's bad. I actually think it's really good, but. You know, there is the question, like when you go to a Wednesday Dynamite show, you don't know who's going to be there. You know, yeah, they'll advertise matches, but you're not going to know until the last week what those are. Maybe even like this week where you don't really know the card until Saturday before Wednesday. And people make plans. You know, if you're going to go out with a whole bunch of friends on a Wednesday, you know, you're probably going to want to make plans for it a couple of weeks ahead. And if you don't know, like with Raw and SmackDown, even if you don't know the lineup, you kind of know who's going to be there, um, you know, weeks ahead. You know, because you're going to get almost all the big Raw stars or all the big SmackDown stars on those shows. With AEW, you don't know. And, you know, if it was working and they were doing 5,000 people a night, I would say, well, you know, it's working. It's fine. But it's not. And so now we got to figure out what to do, what, could, what do you do to make it work? Yeah, I think to the extent some of it's out of, out of their hands when WWE is better and people are more satisfied with it, the need for an alternative is is lesser. Yeah. Um, if, if we could touch on The Rock briefly. The, new, the newest member of the TKO board of directors. I was just thinking something we didn't talk about yesterday when John and I were talking is that, so he's got all of his IP now, all of the rock IP is, is his uh, name and catchphrases and things like that. He got a $30 million equity uh, reward for, for coming on the board. And I was thinking like, if I were a TKO investor, which I'm not, uh, why, 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 why give him his IP? Why give him, the $30 million award, like what value is he adding that's so far in excess of what a typical new member of the board of directors would add? He's clearly qualified to be on the board, but that seems like a, a big, you know, why, you know, if, if I hold stock, why am I okay with you? You're giving IP away here and you're giving a lot of money away. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Um, I think that that's probably demands that he made. You know, he knows where he's coming from too. And obviously it tells you they wanted him aboard, uh, badly. And, and, and you it know, looks like a little bit of a conflict with the relationship where, where Ari has been his representative or endeavor, at least has been his representative for many years. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, um, yeah, he's representative. It is kind of an, that is really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's wanted that rock name, um, to market on his own, you know, you know, probably for 20 years now, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's, he, he got a sweetheart of a deal, but maybe they feel it's worth it. You know, if he's going to do matches from time to time or appear on TV, you know, I presume he's going to appear on TV more often than before. And, you know, he's a, um, you know, and, and perhaps that helped, perhaps the idea helped in the negotiations with Netflix. It's like, Hey, we can deliver Dwayne Johnson on the show X number of times a year. Um, and, you know, that's a, that, that means a lot more than any, any other name that they could put on there, you know, and say, oh, we're going to deliver CM Punk, you know, which, which is probably the second biggest name. That's not going to mean anything compared to Dwayne Johnson. We're going to deliver Seth Rollins every single week. It ain't going to mean the same thing. Well, Dave, we uh, appreciate you very much uh, taking all this time to uh, to chat with us. Of course, you can follow all of uh, this news uh, in this week's Wrestling Observer newsletter that will be dropping on Friday over at WrestlingObserver.com. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Okay, great to talk to you guys.
Thanks, Dave. Right. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Dave Meltzer, everyone. A very busy man, as you could hear yes. at the beginning <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, yeah, what did you think overall just of The Rock and his... Like He was a very big part of this public presentation on Tuesday being front and center at the New York stock exchange doing the media rounds. And would you anticipate like this is not going to be just a quiet board member. Like this is going to be, I I would say like very much one of their front facing uh, figures for a lot of reasons that Dave just outlined there. I mean, this is um, this is going to be the most significant independent board member that they have had in terms of what they can extract from his celebrity. Yeah. And he's a great personality and he's a huge star. Um, He's, clearly got a, a, a pass with the company and a, I guess a, to an extent he's currently working with the company. Um, but yeah, it, another thing, he was not just at the stock exchange. I was told he, he was brought down to headquarters too. uh, came out to his music and, and slapped hands with employees and things like that yesterday. So, uh, re- really there to hype everybody up. George Barrios never got that kind of treatment. Did he? I don't think so. And I was thinking like, and not, not, I don't want to be too cynical, but like to think about, the, the the Netflix deal and the details of it in terms of the monetary value, it's maybe, or I think it's maybe early years of this 10 year term. Maybe it's a down deal compared to what it's, what it's eating up maybe further on. It's an up deal. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's co- a little too complicated for most people to figure out the, the step up and you preceded it with, with, Oh my God, Dwayne Johnson, one of the biggest Hollywood movie stars is part of our board in terms of a PR strategy. It's, it's made what could be recognized as a disappointing deal, less disappointing. Although yes, the, the Netflix brand and the Netflix reaches is, is a good thing. Would you interpret yesterday as, um, somewhat a lot of this being baked in that over time people are like it, investors are going to kind of slice this up more and, and get to that conclusion or do you feel I guess that- I was thinking but like they're, they're not going to figure that out until 2025 and this money starts getting paid you know we're not going to know until like May 2025 when we get the Q1 report that like you know oh we'll, we'll see if if W's media segment is down right yeah and i mean ultimately it was they got the reaction they wanted um from the stock, I mean, publicly, I mean, this has been trumpeted as like a, a gigantic win for both sides. I think for Netflix, this is an, an incredible deal for just the, the length of time that they've got that in the grand scheme of things, like, yes, it's a staggering number to some people. But when you break it off over so many years and it's Netflix, um, like not a whole lot of risk involved on their end either. That I mean, you have, the utter catastrophe is you have an opt out in five years, which I don't think anyone thinks will be exercised, but they they do have an exit strategy too built into this. And if, if the absolute worst case scenario occurs, right, or it could go twenty years. Um, <laughs> but as we talked about yesterday, it's 
This is a long deal, potentially 10 years. It's probably going to be 10 years. I, I know there's a question in the chat. This is, I don't think there's any ambiguity. W or WWE, I guess WWE. TKO has, has disclosed this themselves that this is a 10 year deal with Netflix has the option to cancel it after five. And they have the option at the 10 year mark or whatever, I guess, to extend it to 20 years. And there's, there's everybody's on the same page about that. Um, but yeah, it's a long term deal that tells me, you know, you're, you're probably not that optimistic about the future of the, the rights market if you're willing to say, I'm not going to shop this property for 10 years, and I'm going to let you decide whether I'm going to shop it for 20 years. Yes. Um, just on the uh, on the Canadian front that I know everybody is just yes, dying people are waiting. to get to it, the 38-minute mark of the show. Uh, there was some confusion this morning because uh, I was getting messaged by many concerned people because on their, on people's programming guides, Saturday night, 8 p.m., did not list the Royal Rumble. Instead, really? a takeover was listed, and everyone was very worried about this. Uh, I was told um, that it is it is business as usual. Royal Rumble will air. They are not they're not moving it to uh, pay per view or a- anything. Or Netflix, not going to be on Netflix, right? It's not going to be on Netflix. It will be it will be like every other uh, premium live event. Um, the length of the deal, it does. It, it, the, the Canadian rights, it does go until the end of the year. That's when the, the contract is, uh, to, to end in Canada as well. But then everything will be moving to Netflix. Uh, that is like everything, including the premium live events. Like this is not uh, to decipher from the U.S. model, which will remain, the premium live events will remain on Peacock till at least March of 2026. Yeah. And, and, so the biggest deals are what U.S. number one, obviously number two, India, and as we were dis- discussing it yesterday, it's ambiguity about whether India is included in this immediately or not. And I know Nikon said to Bloomberg yesterday that India is not included in this deal. I was told by somebody that that it does include India, and I'm guessing maybe we could interpret what what Nikon said there as it doesn't include India right now. I believe the India deal expires at the end of 2026. So maybe it's going to roll over at that point. Um, So yes, those are Canada, US, US, India, probably UK and Canada, roughly tied. Did you, uh, did you tune into the Netflix earnings call on Tuesday? I sure did. I I listened to Ted Sarandos. This is an unusual earnings call, isn't it? It is. It's more so like you have your moderator that is just, you might as well have like a fireside chat. I mean, they yes. just had the fire going with like there some should be a fireplace. Yeah. And they take investors questions. You, the investors don't get to, or the analysts, no. I should say, don't get to ask the questions themselves. Instead, you submit them. And then this moderator sends it in a, in a very uh, nice tone and asks the questions. And, uh, Ted Sarandos would, uh, not get, we don't talk about specifics of any deal and made a big point that this is not sports we're getting into. This is sports entertainment. That's, that's our sweet spot. Right. Just like they're, they're not getting into advertising. So it's, it's obviously not Netflix has been a great business, but it, it's hard to take these big strategic declarations that they give, you know, at, at face value when they, they, they do seem to change their mind or, or do things that they said they wouldn't do. Yeah. They, they had a phenomenal day. They, they beat the predictions by adding over 13 million new subscribers for Q4, which now takes their worldwide total to 260.8. And the US number is what, around 72 in that ballpark? I think it's about 72. They, they disclose US and Canada is all one, one package. And that's at 81, I believe, 81 million. Yes. So um, a, a cool net income of 937.8 million for the quarter and a revenue of uh, 8.8 billion. So yeah, Netflix is doing all right. Um, we do have a, another super chat. We'll get to in a second, but I also wanted to uh, bring up this. The research firm Antenna is estimating that Peacock added 2.8 million signups for the NFL wildcard game a couple of weekends ago for the Kansas City Chiefs and Miami Dolphins. So the end of 2023, Peacock was at roughly 30 million subscribers. So in theory, this would be in the, in the ballpark of 33 million subs that they have going into this Royal Rumble weekend, which I am sure there is going to be some some benefit to Royal Rumble having, you know, just occurring on the calendar several weeks after this game when people, regardless of what the churn is, they do have access to Peacock for a month. And this is the kind of event that if um 
a really super lapsed fan might watch one show a year, the Royal Rumble would be probably at the top of that list, if not number two. Yeah, so it should be the, the most watched Royal Rumble ever. Um, so what do you think about that number then? So they're at 28 in Q3. We've just started earnings season since Netflix just reported. So we'll get an update from Comcast soon. So they, if they're going from 28 to what, what would they gain 2.8 million? So they're, 8 million, so. they're probably just over 30. I think we, we spoke last time for, to hold ourselves accountable. And I think we agreed that 35 would be pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit under what, at least at that time, we thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. I was saying like, could, could they, could, could they have 40? So definitely below that, uh, th- that scale of uh, 35 to 40. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it, I, I mean, ultimately this would, this will be judged in different ways, ultimately of how many stick with uh, Peacock after this. I don't expect 2.8 million people to just drop this service after 30 days. So they'll, they'll get something out of this, but I mean, you will need like meaningful events on a consistent basis, I think, to continue to grow this as opposed to one big game, of of the year and you're only going to have so many things that have the power of an NFL playoff game that's going to have that that level of attachment to it. Yes. So uh, another thing that occurred to me which will be relevant to people in Canada and the UK at least for starters is that it's clear you're going to get PLEs on Netflix. It's not clear how much of the library is going to be there and I know there are some people who have WWE library anxiety about just as we did here in the United States when uh you know everything what was moving over to peacock and there were people just throwing their hands in the air about how they're never going to see no way i'm going to see mid-south on peacock there's no they're not going to put you think they're going to put bill watts's mid-south on peacock they're going to put fritz von eric's world class on peacock and they did um but i it peacock i don't know the interface just seems like a lot more stuff going on but I, I, i i'm probably underestimating it to think that Netflix won't be able to build a WWE section just as Peacock has. I think that this is one, one area where this is a fan base that if there is, if there is a consistency, Brandon, of some of the individuals that are like wrestling adjacent in these industries that sometimes we'll speak to their opinion, uh, the fan base, they're very polite, but it is, this is a rabid fan base. I mean, it oh, is yeah. chased. They're very like, passionate. They're when Show Buzz Daily signed off, I mean, they made a they made a point to shout out the wrestling fans out there. So I would say for Netflix, as they are entering this unique space that they may or may not know the level of fandom that is attached to it, um, this would certainly be the the make good to make this audience as welcome as possible to absorb as much of the WWE network as possible. But you're right, it is not a guarantee, and that would be uh, among my questions if if we were able to ask. And it's probably under that bucket of. We don't know at this point when you're 10 and a half months out of the specifics and if they will carve out their own sort of WWE tile within Netflix that can take people into the archives. Right. I guess if if Peacock can do it, if NBC Universal can do it, I don't see why Netflix wouldn't be able to. By that, I mean, Netflix is a, a stronger tech company. It has a stronger tech background than NBC or, or Comcast does, at least when it comes to streaming. I would... I would think so. If if they can do it, um, why why couldn't Netflix do it? If if this was uh, if this was the NFL strategy, Netflix gets all the new stuff, and then we'll take the library. We're going to sell it off. So you got to buy another thing to get the library. I mean, let's just let's just monetize, monetize everything. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that that library will exist in some form or fashion. Where, when, and for how much uh, all remains to be seen. Uh, but there there you have it. The the latest on the Netflix front. Are you ready for a question about? state of the media brandon are you in are you in the mood for a state of the media we'll make this one quick okay mj is the one that sends in the super chat given your roles in the media what do the three of you think about hunter's statement from july of 2023 that 75 percent, very specific percentage that hunter had of reported sources say speculation is not true online yet that stuff dominates discourses that exact number that Hunter has, uh, he has carefully combed through every single report. He busted out his uh, true or untrue uh, marker and got a percentage and was able to uh, ascertain exactly what is true and what is not true on the internet. I think there are credible places to listen to and there are less credible places to listen to. I think it's it's easy to also conflate 
the hysterical and insane conversations that you see around wrestling news from from fans uh and you know and the speculation that you'll you'll get from fans and to apply that to that's what the wrestling media is doing and everybody in the wrestling media is the same of course so we're all in one bucket and and uh we're, we're all, all in a group text <laughs> yes um but i I, th- I think there is a, lo- a lot of conflation of like you know because there's one bad source or there's one there's a, a conversation happening where people are speculating about rumors and things that at least you and I would not report um, that that is how everything is. Um, I think it's in Paul of X kind of defensive interest to, to discount any sort of media that, that could, could be credible and scrutinize WWE and their choices and conduct. So I think that's a, that is a hyperbole on his part. It is. I would, you know, it, we're talking about professional wrestling here, but I just think in a grander sense, when you sort of um, uh, take the legitimacy away from an entity that just becomes the media, which can be a bad word to many people, I think that it is to what Brandon is stating here. I mean, that is to your benefit. If, if you have a, if you have a agency like media that is there to essentially inform you, the consumer about, what is happening? What is going on as a neutral party? Um, that is not always to the benefit of the business or the company you are covering. So if that business or company can delegitimize you, that is of great benefit to them that they can control um, the discourse of news. And that even if there is uh, something negative to report, well, it's coming from the biased media and therefore you can um you're giving a lot of power in that sense. And I understand that the media, it, it's going to be a wide range of what people's opinions are, but I think it's always dangerous when you just group everybody together with the same brush, um, because you can always find um, good, good reporters, bad reporters in between. I think uh, generally um, I will certainly speak for Brandon um, as uh, one of the best that is out there when it comes to the carefulness and um we hear lots of things that it is not just simply um, that we are just parrots that are going to rep- report what one person tells us without trying to fact check to get multiple sources on something to be as concrete when we share info with you um, that we can. And for those that I'm going on a rant here, I understand. I'll, I'll wrap up that's in a second. That's, that's a good one. Keep going. For those that uh, lament the quote unquote sources say, I can almost guarantee you um, that myself and Brandon have probably never gone to a source and said, hey, can you please not identify yourself when we report something? Uh, Can you please tell us something off the record as opposed to on the record? Uh, We we crave transparency. We would love if all of these people had the ability to speak on the record. This is not an industry where you are going to find too many people putting their hand up and wanting to attach a name to information. So you, as the consumer, would you rather not be informed um, unless someone attaches their name because a lot of important things are then not going to be discussed. And that is the value judgment you need to make as well of what you want out of your wrestling media as well. Not saying it's perfect, but it's don't get on the reporters when it is officials or individuals that are not going to go on the record. And the things that people will not go on the record for, I mean, it is comical at times of like how close knit and, guarded information is when it comes to the fear of being attached to a news item. If you are someone that works in the industry and that's just the way it operates. And that does not mean we just shut down and don't report things. And for what are to me, irrational reasons, which are are only supported by like a tragedy of the commons and that, well, nobody else does it. So if I do it, I'm, I'm at risk. Um, But I think, and, and let's not pretend like, the wrestling media are full of people who highly prioritize transparency and accuracy. We have all different kinds of, of goals and, and just people who are, I think are just kind of indifferent to, to those priorities. Um, I, I hope that we're doing something that is, that is prioritizing transparency and accuracy. Um, and I think that there's, when it comes to, if we're talking about things that are being told to reporters on background. I think there is, you know, there's an anonymity in that. And I think wrestling reporters could do a better job of describing what their sources are while, while keeping them anonymous. And I think there's a risk of a reporter being 
given something and then being willing to report, whereas maybe you and I would be more conservative and would want to get a second source or would prefer this, this thing be, be reported on the record. Whereas somebody who's not as, as discerning or not as conservative about that, you know, gets that information. And then because they were willing to, to do that, get, get, get more and more information and report more things like that. So by it's sort of the, the feedback loop just sort of perpetuates itself like that. I appreciate the question. Uh, whenever we get to uh, talk about this, uh, we can talk about it for another hour. Yeah, we, we, we could keep going here. But um, were there any other uh, topics you wanted to hit on? What do you imagine the WWE version of Drive to Survive could look like if we see such a show develop that Nikon uh, hinted at on uh, Bloomberg News? Tough enough. I mean, we've been there, haven't we? AEW All Access, wasn't that a good show? You, you like that, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy that show. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, uh, the elephant in the room. That's what I think that that show was called. Yeah. I mean, especially in wrestling, there's, there's things that people want to protect, especially in that case, in the case of AEW, where the, the issue is CM Punk and nobody could talk about CM Punk. But I mean, in, in wrestling, there is, there is, I feel like it's, this is an extension of the earlier conversation we were just having. There's this compulsion to protect things and not really say things. And I don't know how, how wrestling can, can tell, you know, can connect with an audience, maybe the way the drives to survive connected with an audience uh, without letting that guard down. The last item I did want to bring up is uh, Vice TV just uh, officially announced the return of Dark Side of the Ring for its fifth season. It'll come back Tuesday, March the 5th with 10 episodes. Topics will include Gentleman Chris Adams, Sensational Sherry, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Black Saturday from 1984, Chris Colt, The Sandman, Earthquake, John Tenta, Harley Race, Buff Bagwell, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Okay. Any jump out at you? Any that you are like, wow, can't wait. Buff Chris Buff Colts is an interesting one. Like that is a, that's certainly one where they, they, they are going deep there for an audience that I would say uh, a lot of. Uh, there must be a story much. there. I don't, even, I don't even recognize that name. Oh, Chris Colt. There's definitely a story um, with Chris Colt that. Um, is worth telling. They're not afraid to usually go into like a really like obscure topic. I would say Chris Colt would be the most for, for this audience as well. Um, Black Saturday could be a, a very interesting one as well. But there you go. That's coming back on March the 5th. Will they interview Ole Anderson for Black Saturday? I don't think Ole Anderson is up for he's, any, he's any sit down interviews at, okay. at, at this time. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was the Ole Anderson was totally blindsided by that, by that deal. You know, the Briscoes going to Vince McMahon and then Oli tried to Oli tried to take them to court and delayed it. That that would have happened in April. And they delayed it until July when essentially, you know, they he was just blindsided and they sold out Oli Anderson. Yes. Ron Hutchison would be available for the for a Black Saturday interview. Ron Hutchison is the trivia note of the first involved in the first match on that broadcast of uh july right. of 1984 maybe maybe that will be a, a guess that we get our uh, uh I, I think we could land him we all uh we all sat together at forbidden door too that's right back, that's right. back in june yes. all right well on that note uh we are going to be wrapping things up so we have two episodes this week so if you didn't catch tuesday's breaking news we provided a, a ton of reaction and detail on the wwe to netflix deal including some of the comments made by ari emmanuel and nick Khan as they were doing the the media rounds, it was a very busy day on the TKO front. And Brandon, I'm sure you'll be going more into this on Sunday as you sit down and come at this from all angles. I, I want to highly recommend people go to WrestleNomics.com to see the financial breakdown that Brandon did that I, I think is a really um, excellent breakdown of kind of the finances and getting to um, a, more, a more understanding of this deal and where all the different uh, revenue streams are coming from and what this deal means from a domestic standpoint and the, of course, overall impact that the Netflix deal will have. So there you have it. Uh, as you viewers can see right now, if you want to check my math, uh, go for it. That, that, and that's free for everybody. The, the two reports that I did yesterday are free for everybody and ad free. Um, and I will be, uh, I will be in Tampa this Saturday. So oh, I'll right. probably be doing a WrestleNomics radio podcast for subscribers somewhere, either in Tampa before I leave or later on when I'm back home in the evening. So, I will and, uh, relay my experience. 
Yes. And tentatively, we're hopeful of having Brandon uh, join us on the Royal Rumble review Saturday night. If uh, everything is in alignment, Brandon will be going to the press conference afterward. And then um, hopefully we'll still be on the air. and We can have Brandon on to chat about the press conference and anything else that goes down at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, it shouldn't be too bad because the, the, the W press conference is assuming I attended. I mean, I don't know for 100 percent that I'll be there, but uh, if I'm there, those don't last too long and I'm not too far from the arena. So do my best to make it. All right. Well, we look forward to that safe travels this weekend and uh, that is going to wrap it up. So uh, you can tune into Rewind and Dynamite tonight as myself and Wei Ting will be talking, uh, I'm sure, more about this and uh, plenty to come this week. So go check out WrestleNomics.com, PostWrestling.com. And you know what? I think, uh, you know, we, we typically kick off the show with him. And I think that the uh, the best way to sign off is with uh, the words of one man. And to all a good night. That's it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.